You're listening to South Bend Beat, produced by Alpha Dog Podcast. This week on South Bend Beat, we have Dr. Amber Selking. Dr. Selking is from a small town in Pennsylvania where she then went to play soccer at Notre Dame and then ended up getting a master's, a doctorate's. Very impressive. She now runs Selking Performance Group. Uh, probably her biggest client is Notre Dame football. You'll see her on the sidelines keeping the guys engaged. Um, I mean, what she does is she focuses on how the brain works, mental preparation, having a correct mindset. So that applies to business, sports. We're going to get into all of that. She also works for Lippert Components. Uh, she's on their leadership and development team. Uh, so just as she does it in the sports world, she does it in the business world as well. She has a podcast called Building Championship Mindsets, has over 200,000 downloads, very, very well listened to, a bunch of people love it. Uh, we'll be able to talk about that. You can check it out in the show notes. I have it linked. She also has a book coming out this spring, uh, so make sure you follow along on those links in the show notes where you can follow her on social media. She'll drop the info to get her book, but we talk about all this and more uh, in about 40, 45 minute interview here, and as always... This interview and this podcast and the entire podcast network is brought to you by Martin Supermarkets. Um, what I usually mention is a side door deli. I go there a couple times a week. You can go in, you know, get snacks, get treats, kind of like what I like to do. But they also have the healthy stuff and they have barbecue and they have chicken, pre-made, ready to make, whatever you want. Uh, you can go to martins-supermarkets.com to check all that out. You can get groceries delivered, um, kind of whatever you want to do. And I 15 minutes or less option also, I believe. And you can find them on social media at Martin's Markets. And we will be having their dietitians, Kristen, on fully grown men uh, here in the next couple weeks. So keep an eye out for that, or I guess I should say an ear out for that. But as for this interview, Dr. Amber Selking, enjoy. Joined by Dr. Amber Selking. Dr. Selking, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So... We're going to touch on a few things. Uh, we'll start with your background. I, I read that you're small town, Pennsylvania. We were talking before we recorded actually like 15 minutes from where I have family. So right on the border, right? Pennsylvania, New York. Yep. Right on the border of upstate New York, trained at B Binghamton university growing yeah. up. So it was a uh, one mountain to my high school and the other mountain to BU. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I read, so like livestock and family had a McDonald's franchise. Fill us in on that. Like what, how was your childhood spent? Yeah. I, I actually randomly dropped the other day in a conversation. I was like, yeah, you know, growing up showing livestock and someone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa you can't just like casually <laughs> say that like you showed livestock. Like, what does that even mean? Um, but my mom was an extension agent for, you know, 20 years in Ohio before we moved to Pennsylvania. So I grew up in 4-H and um, raising lambs and hogs. I had my first business when I was seven years old. Wow. Um, so I was, <laughs> I've been, I've been a little entrepreneur since a very young age. Um, but I was so blessed, you know, to 
grow up, I, I think, in this very um, diverse life experience, mm-hmm. even though I was from a small town where it was predominantly Caucasian. Like, I think we had one African-American family and he was the, the town doctor, you know. Um, so I had very little exposure, I guess, to like the, the diversity that we would typically think um, in our world today from a, you know, religion or a, a, a racial or different backgrounds. Um, but the experience to grow up in a family business like McDonald's, right, which is a, it's a global brand, um, but yet locally owned was, mm-hmm. was awesome. And, um, you know, many owner operators for McDonald's are, th- that was their first job. You know, that was my yeah. dad's first job when he was 14 and his dream was to own his own McDonald's restaurant one day. So a lot of McDonald's franchisees are very like down to earth, hardworking. I mean, McDonald's is a penny business, you know, and so you're, you're very mindful of, you know, managing money, managing people, products, all the stuff. Um, so that was an awesome experience. And then I, I showing lambs and, and pigs, you know, traveling all over the country, um, in barns, shoveling manure, working <laughs> lambs out before school. You know, I'd get up every day before school, work my animals out, go to school, come home. They need fed in the morning and night. And so, you know, that experience I think teaches you that something's depending on you, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't feed those things, they're going to die. Yep. Right. And so that sense of responsibility um, and accountability at a very young age, I think was critical. And then I was a soccer player. So, um, you know, grew up playing soccer, started in, in first grade and just fell in love with the sport and the intensity of it. Um, the physicality of it, I, I loved. And, um, and then school was really important to me as well, you know, so, so academics were, were pretty, I assume you're a good student. Well, I worked really hard. (laughs) And so I was a good student because of that. Um, I was valedictorian in our small town high school. And, you know, I think that was critical in in giving me an opportunity to come to the University of Notre Dame. Um, And then, you know, and then my faith was really important to me. And so, again, the diversity that I talk about of having having, you know, one foot sort of in all of these different worlds where people are very different, your your intent and your motives and in your like work, I guess, is very different. But that striving and passion for excellence was consistent among all of those. And so, you know, I think that that was such a critical foundation to everything that I'm doing now and the different types of people that I get to interact with and, and, um, you know, work with is, is really invigorating. And I think all goes back to that being raised in Montrose, Pennsylvania. And I want to talk about small town work ethic. So I I mentioned that I moved here from New York, but I spent much of my childhood in Kansas. I graduated with a high school class. How big was your graduating high school class? 148. So I bet you were way, I bet that's huge for you if you're in Kansas. Oh, wow. Yeah. 13. Yeah. Yeah, 13 for me. (laughs) Killing the game, Cal. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, I mean, I didn't have this background, but a lot of my friends, they were in 4-H. So when fair time came around, it was a big deal. And it's, you know, before school, it's getting chores done on the farm and then hitting the weight room usually, full day of school, practice, and then back for more chores at night. And I think there is something to be said for small town living and just instilling a work ethic that's going to end up being lifelong. A hundred percent. I'm so grateful for that. You know, I, I remember my friends like in high school, they would, you know, do stuff on the weekends and I would always have a soccer tournament mm-hmm. or be, you know, traveling. And there would be these moments where I'd be like, man, I, I, I want to go hang out, you know, and it's like do nothing basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it, my mom made a statement to me at a very young age. She goes, you know, Amber, their lives is going to be different because they have, you have different goals than they do mm-hmm. and you have to be okay with that. And, and if you're not, then that's okay. Just make different goals. But she like never let me get away from like, don't talk about all these things you want to do. Like, you know, if you want to change, like I want to change the world since I've been little, Mm -hmm. you know, I used to pray for that when I was little, you know, (laughs) and I was like, God, I'm 12. Why are you not using me to change the world yet? You know? Um, 
so you, you know, that was on my heart to, to go play D one college soccer was like a dream and a goal of mine. And so she just always challenged me to be like, listen, if this is really what you want, then these are the things that you have to do to get what you say that you want. And, and you know, the animals were no different. And she was like, if you want to do animals, you're going to do it the right way. And if you don't, that's fine. But guess what's not going to be in the barn when mm-hmm. your little self wakes up in the morning? Yeah. All your animals. Yeah. So, And my mom was crazy enough that I believed that she would literally <laughs> get rid of them Ship all them while out. I was asleep one yeah. night. <laughs> so talk about then getting to Notre Dame. Um, I mentioned I, I watched your TED Talk this morning, the, the birth of the bulletproof tiger. Uh, <laughs> you came, you played soccer, you ended up boxing. And it, I, I guess it kind of shaped what you wanted to become and what you ended up becoming. Uh, can you take us through that transition process and how you came to the realization of what you wanted to do? Yeah, so I had actually committed to the Naval Academy my senior year of high oh, school. Wow. Um, y- you know, it was a it was a big discernment process, but I just felt like, man, I, I don't know if everybody can really commit to the an academy life, you know, and then a life of service in the military. And I was like, man, I. I could actually do that Mm -hmm. and you got myself excited about jumping out of planes and blowing things up (laughs) and all this stuff, you know? And so I, I'd committed to Navy. Um, and, and yet there was a a piece of my heart that like, I was like, man, but I really want to go to Notre Dame. And so I got accepted early action. Um, but you know, real quick, why Notre Dame? Oh, good question. Um, I visited like 20 schools and Mm -hmm. I fell in love with every one of them. I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I am going to be a bulldog. Nope. (laughs) gonna be a nittany lion oh my god I'm gonna be a Buckeye you know like I was just everywhere I went I like loved it and I got excited um and I people that are Notre Dame fans please forgive me for what I'm about to say because Uh my husband doesn't hate me for this but he there's a part of him that is like for the love of God woman um you know I didn't even know Notre Dame was in Indiana Wow. And I, my mom and I speaks to their national I, brand, I, I guess. I know I yeah. uh, grew up in a small town. Yeah. I had four channels on yeah. TV. <laughs> NBC wasn't one of them. Um, and, and so we were driving to Indiana to see Valparaiso, Ball State, IU, um, and Purdue. Mm-hmm. And we're driving across 80, 90 and there's like a sign for Notre Dame. And I, I looked at my mom was like, Notre Dame's in Indiana. And she's <laughs> like, she's like, I guess. So I like get online, find the coach's phone number, call coach and just say like, Hey, I'm in Indiana looking at schools. I'd love to meet with you. And he was like, okay, cool. Stop after you're done on your last trip and we'll meet. And, um, and I remember getting out of the truck and putting two feet on campus. And I looked at my mom without excitement. And I just said, this is where I'm going to go to college. And I just felt this sense of peace and like presence on the campus that is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And so if you've never been to Notre Dame, which is in Indiana, uh, South Bend, Indiana, (laughs) to be exact, come just walk campus. I mean, there, there's something really, really special and really unique about, you know, the spirit of the fighting Irish. I think that you can literally just feel it's palpable. And, um, and so, you know, I went through that discernment process, wound up coming to Notre Dame, but I, I, I tore my first ACL um, a month before I was supposed to leave for plebe summer, which is the Naval Academy's boot camp. And and it was three days before the Notre Dame deadline. And that's when I, I called coach and I said, listen, I tore my knee. I, I can't go to Navy. I could, but there was a lot of variables I won't go into now. 
Um, and he said, well, I, I told you if you got in, you'd be on the team. So I was a recruited walk-on, um, came in and redshirted my fall season, played my spring season, had what I thought was a good spring, you know, for coming back. And I was that kid mm-hmm. that after every practice, you know, I'm talking to the seniors like, Hey, how'd I do? What'd you think? <laughs> what do I need to do to get better? You know? And they're always like, Hey, lat, like you're doing great. We're excited, you know? And so I went into my end of the year meeting with coach thinking I was going to hear, Hey, lots of work to do this summer. Um, but we're excited about the fall. And what I heard was, um, Hey, how would you feel if you weren't on the team next year? And I just sort of looked at him like, what, what do you mean if I'm not on the team next year? Like everything I've done since I've been seven years old was because I wanted to play division one college soccer. Mm-hmm. Like you tell me how I'm going to feel if you take that away. And they just like looked at me <laughs> and they said, come back in two hours and I'll tell you what we decided. And I was like, what? So I'm bawling, you know, at this point. And it's right before I start taking finals. So I go and I couldn't study because I was, you know, having my life torn away from me in front of my eyes. And I, so I get online to to just check my email aimlessly. And at the time I was getting daily devotionals from FCA. And, you know, all year I had signed everything because we were the number one ranked team in the country. Right. And we had these little girls that were like these awesome fans and and fans. And we would sign stuff almost every day. And so I would always sign it a lat Jeremiah 2911 because, you know, my maiden name is Latner um, and 29 was my number in college. 11 was my number in high school. Uh, You know, as athletes, we're stupid obsessed with their numbers and 11 (laughs) was taken, but two plus nine equals 11. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, we're obsessed. Um, and, and I was like, ah, it's a good verse. If anybody actually ever reads what you write on their little poster or ball, it'll be a good one. So I open up my email and it pops up and it says, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for your life says the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And you know, in that moment, I sort of knew I'm about to get cut. (laughs) And, and I was like, what I thought I had written this verse for every day for nine months was really just to give me something to hold on to in that moment, because I was having an identity crisis. You know, I walked in and, um, they wound up saying like, Hey, Amber, your knee didn't really come back the way we thought it would. You came in with a group of 10 girls. We've got another 10 girls coming in. And we just, we don't think there's going to be enough room or you'll have the potential to, you know, do what you do. So if you want to transfer, we'll support whatever. Um, and I went through that whole process, you know, I'm going to transfer and play and blah, blah, blah. And then I just realized, you know, maybe I'm at Notre Dame for a different reason. And, um, and thankfully, like, cause again, I didn't really know what it meant to be at Notre Dame at that, at that age. And I don't think, I think we forget. these kids are still 18 to 22 Mm -hmm. years old. Like you don't really know the magnitude of what it means to be there, even if you know that Notre Dame's in Indiana. And, um, and so I'm so thankful that I wound up staying and now particularly, cause I still get out of bed in the morning and like have to foam roll. I'm like, thank God I didn't play for another three yeah. years and get my body beat up more, more than it already was. Um, and so, um, you know, I'd led Notre Dame Christian athletes while I was there for the next three years, thought that was just sort of my way to ease my ego out of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wound up boxing my senior year. I'd always wanted to box and Notre Dame's, but I think the only school outside of the academies that have like live boxing for men and women. So yeah. So the old fight name, bulletproof tiger, yeah, bulletproof um, tiger. yeah, actually came when I was in Spain studying abroad. So my best friend and I, we used to call ourselves, uh, La Tigres Blindadas, <laughs> which means bulletproof tiger in Spanish and, uh, BPT for sure. So that, that was a fun way to spend senior year. I'd always wanted to punch somebody in the face, but that's not like, you know, something you're allowed to do on a normal basis and boxing you can. So it was spectacular. It was a really fun experience. Do you still box at all? 
I, I kickbox sometimes and yeah. like spar on a bag. Actually, so I work at Lippert Components mm-hmm. now, and we actually just came out with this something called the Aqua Training Bag. And so it's like a water-filled um, punching bag that they've been using in a lot of MMA gyms. So uh, I get to hit on that sometimes, which is always nice. And let's talk about Lippert. So we've had Jason on. We've had Braxton on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of on a run here. It's one of the largest employers in this area. Um, and one, things I, one thing I admire about Lippert Components is just – Things are done correctly from the top all the way through, Mm -hmm. which can be rare in big corporations now. So talk to us about what you do at Lippert, your role, and how you got started in it. Yeah, so I have the extreme honor of serving as the vice president for leadership and culture development. And, um, you know, what does that mean? So in there's something in the U.S. called the Business Roundtable, and it's a group of CEOs that get together to talk about like the trajectory of U.S. business and what it's doing for the U.S. economy. And so back in the 1970s, this group actually met and put out a statement of the purpose of a corporation. And what they said in that was that the purpose of a corporation is to increase shareholder wealth. Okay. And so from that, literally, if you've been to business school in the last 30 years, you have been trained in business school that your job is to increase shareholder wealth. And that's what business is there to do. Well, as you're well aware over the last 30 years, like the intent and purpose of business um, has not gotten us probably to the best place um, in terms of what business can do in people's lives and in communities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So this, this business roundtable um, recently in 2019 released a revised purpose of the, the of a corporation. And what they state is that the purpose of a corporation is actually to increase all of stakeholder wealth. So not just shareholders, right? Stakeholders, including employees, the communities that they're a part of, their supply chain, their customer base. Oh, and shareholders. And so when I read that, um, what struck me is that that is such an aspirational statement, you know? And it is so exciting to see over the next 30 years what this statement is going to do for the trajectory of business. But what got me really jacked up was that I felt like at Lippert, man, we are not just talking about these things. Like we are living this on a day-to-day basis. And like these aspirational words are put into pragmatic application on a day-to-day basis. And we're a manufacturing company, you know? And so I love it, you know, when people say, when they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like leadership and culture. And they're like, oh, that's probably easy because like you're you're a regional company. And I'm like, ah, easy. Yeah. We're global. <laughs> yeah. Like we're trying to do this in places like Italy, um, in third world areas like Tunisia, right? Um, and they're, or they're like, oh, well, you're proud. So you can do stuff like that. And like, ah, easy tiger. Like we're publicly traded. Mm -hmm. So we're doing this in that environment too. And then, and then you get the, oh, well, tech companies can do that kind of thing. You know, I'm like, ah, we're manufacturing. Yeah. Like we make stuff blue collar, like American made, globally made, Italian made to all my Italian friends out there, <laughs> right? Like whatever country we're in, but like it's manufacturing. And so all the reasons that people, you know, often say of why places can or can't do culture, like we're blasting those, those stereotypes and, and showing that you can be global, you can be publicly traded, you can be a manufacturer. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, right? It's about treating people well and making people feel cared for. And we believe that if, if leadership gets better, then people's lives are going to get better at work. And if they get better at work, 
work, they're going to go home happier and healthier. And when they do, they're going to treat their spouse better, their kids better, their dog better, their communities better. And little by little, we believe that that's how we're going to change the world um, because we believe that business can and should be a force for good in the world. So that's what we wake up every day with the opportunity to go pursue and fight for. And um, and so, you know, my teams, we've got a, a leadership development team, a personal and professional development team, corporate and community impact team, a training team, and then the Lippert Academy for Leadership, which is an external consulting arm. So for other organizations or teams that are interested in, hey, how do I get on my own leadership and cultural journey? Or, um, hey, we're on our journey. Come help us get some fresh ideas or new approaches. Um, the Academy is there to serve as that exter external resource to other organizations. So how do you think other companies could best replicate it? Because it's one thing where, and this, this happens a lot, it's easy to go up at the beginning of each quarter and say, we're going to do this, this, and this. It's something c completely different to do it the Lippert way and actually carry through through the rest of the quarter and then start again the next quarter and carry it through. Do you just attribute it to just more hands on deck at Lippert? Or is it a leadership thing, devotion, all of the above? Well, why is Lippert able to do it so well when other places or maybe just lagging behind a little bit. Yeah, first and foremost, you know, it starts with extreme ownership at the top. And you said you had Jason on your podcast, so the Jocko you know, Willink type of thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, and he is he is the biggest torchbearer of what we're doing. I mean, mm -hmm. the, if he doesn't believe in this, it doesn't happen. It falls through, you know, yeah. and so that the the senior most leader has to be bought in 100% defending, driving, putting forth, this is going to be important in our organization. And so, and, and, you know, eight years ago, that's what it was, you know, is he kicked that off. We had one leadership development coach back then. And, and so we've built through then. I mean, people look at us now and they're like, oh yeah, you can do this because you have a team of 20 people. Well, we didn't start that way, mm -hmm. you know? And so it starts with extreme ownership at the top. And then, you know, we, we clarified our mission, you know, our mission is to build meaningful relationships with our customers, our coworkers and our community. And so we've started with that mission statement and five core values. And we just said, hey, we are going to be about these things. And for years, that's what we hammered over and over and over and over again. And you have people that are the naysayers and that, uh, oh, here's the flavor of the week. Let's wait till this passes and then we'll carry on. And it just never went away because of that extreme ownership from the top. So, you know, I think if you're on the first part of your journey and you're wondering how I get started, extreme ownership at the top, get that mission and those core values, and then just be so committed to it that eventually people either weed themselves out or the people that aren't bought in become so obvious mm -hmm. that the everybody else around them wants them out, you know? And then from there, the journey can just really snowball. So I'm a big fan of TED Talks. And mm -hmm. you gave one, you gave a TED Talk. How were you first approached? How did you prepare for the TED Talk? Were you nervous doing it? Um, take us through that because I, I, I'm just, this is more of a selfish question. I'm just a big nerd for TED Talks. Yeah. Well, actually they ha they hosted one, a TEDx here at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And so it was an application process. So you had to submit your application and then you went through a series of interviews um, with people on like what your topics would be. And so I don't know what their selection criteria <laughs> yeah. was, but you know, they cultivated a, a group of, of speakers, you know, for a morning session and an afternoon session. And, um, and it was awesome. I mean, I'd always want, it was on like my bucket list of things to, to be able to do. Uh, but you I crushed will, it. I'll say that it's very I, good. <laughs> I will tell you, I speak all the time. I love speaking. I, I feel like it's, it's just a passion of mine. That was one of the most nerve wracking really? talks I'd ever given for two reasons. One, they've got a timer there. 
right? And you have to stick to your time. And like, usually I'm like, okay, we've got 20 minutes. I know where I'm going and I can fluidly stop. Well, like in 12 minutes or 17 minutes, I forget what the exact time was like. 17. You have to, I mean, you can't go over and it's got to be under 17 minutes is pretty short. So that was a thing that I had to really lock in and like know what I was saying. And then the little red dot that you have to stand on. I, I do not like to be controlled Kyle and I do not do well, like confined. And like the fact I had to stay on that, like I used every square inch of that red circle. Um, but yeah, between those two things, it was probably one of the most nerve wracking talks I had. Did you do any dry runs first with a time and then second with like in your living room with a a dot and you're like, I got to stay here. Well, no, but they did do a dress rehearsal and I am not good at dress rehearsals because I like, I like, like the live thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm up there and I'm like sort of going through the talk. I'm sure the people were like, oh, for the love of God, yeah. like, is this what tomorrow's going to be like? Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was the, the, the dry run was enough to make me realize like, okay, stay on the dot, stay on the circle. <laughs> My husband probably wishes he could get a red dot in the house and be like, you must stay here. <laughs> so let's talk about Selking Performance Group. Um, and I also want to talk about your role with Notre Dame football. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you want a little bit of background and you're a subscriber to The Athletic, there was a story written on you probably three, four months ago maybe. Um, but your role, it's mental performance, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of ties in with Selking Performance Group. So mm-hmm. can you talk about those two things? Yeah, so Selking Performance Group, I launched um, 2012. It, so we're, we're a consulting company um, that really emphasizes the power of mindset and leadership to unleash performance excellence, right? So... Um, I have a master. I went and worked in corporate America for a couple of years after my undergrad at Notre Dame in business um, and realized that my heart was still in athletics. And so in athletics, but more high performance, right? Because I saw this similar dynamic between sport and business. Like I was at Notre Dame and again, we were the number one ranked team in the country. We had some of the best players in the nation and it just struck me like we'd be in the weight room sometime. And some of these girls that were so good, you know, they'd be like, Oh, coach isn't watching. I'm going to do eight reps instead of 10, you know? And then I'm over here, like I'm going to do 12 reps yeah. instead of 10. And I'm like, man, if I had like a speck of your actual natural talent, mm-hmm. I could be so good, you know? And, um, and I was good because I worked hard, but like, didn't have that just like sheer natural gifting. Right. Yeah. But then I saw other girls that were like me, you know, that, that sort of always outkicked their coverage just because their sheer determination. And then when I went and worked in business, it was like the same thing I saw. You've got people mm. that like, dude, you are so smart. Like if you would learn to apply yourself coast. and they coast yeah. or conversely. And so, you know, I, it just made me like wonder, well, what is that? And like, how can you really tap into high performance? And so that led me back to grad school. I did my master's at the university of Denver and my PhD at the university of Missouri in applied sports psychology, sport and performance psychology. And it's really just understanding, um, how the brain works, how humans are wired, how it impacts, how we show up. And then I have a passion and background in business, right. And leadership. And so you know, I'm a systems perspective person as well. And so everything in a system is connected. And I believe like Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. So if we can create a strong system that is led well, that is, that is 
constructed within what we know about the science of human high performance. And then we train people within that system how to use their brain and their emotions in ways that position them for success then we can cultivate something special. And so, you know, that's the purpose of the Selking Performance Group is to holistically help leaders look at their system and construct that system in a way that's conducive to high performance. And then from the mental performance piece, really help people again, tap into the power of their mind and to build mindsets. So where tagline is building championship mindsets. And so help people build these mindsets that are conducive to high performance. So, you know, a mindset is a patterned way of thinking, literally a protein pattern that gets woven into your brain and changes is the form and function of your brain. And so, um, thoughts build these mindsets. And so, um, with sulking, we are SPG. We work with individuals, teams, and organizations on mindset and leadership. And, um, and then my main client is Notre Dame football. And so, you know, this is, uh, we just wrapped up year four, um, with coach Kelly. If you look during the games, you can see you on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you can, you can recognize the bun, right? That's, I, I didn't, I wore a ponytail one game and like my father-in-law yeah. is like, I almost didn't find you until the end of the game. And I was like, Oh, she doesn't have her bun. Um, so apparently that's the, that's the distinguishing characteristic. Um, so yeah, so been in, in year four with Coach Kelly, again, the same approach of leadership and, and working with him to create the system and the culture and then um, training training our, our team, our coaches, our staff, our players um, in the, the tenets of, of high performance and mental performance. Is it pretty commonplace? Or like I, I, my first thought when Pete ran the story was Nick Saban's getting on the phone, Dabo's getting on the phone, they're all going to now get mental performance coaches or are those are they already in place at big programs? Um, f- from what I know, um, I don't know of a program that is, is fully embedded as I am. I think a lot of those programs, they, they have consultants. Alabama has going to con- come now. Then. Yeah. Bama. I, I yeah. know Clemson has a consultant that they work with as well, or a group of them. Um, but I think what makes it special here is that, you know, I get to be at practice every day mm-hmm. with them and build that relationship. And, um, which is important because yeah. if you, if you're just showing up on game day, it, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's a it's a different conversation for yeah. sure, and it just allows me to you know see the pulse and the the tenor of everything, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty special. So we do like classroom type training settings mm-hmm. with them, and then on field application, you know, as well, just being with there with them on a day to day basis, and then you know they've got access to text or call or build do one on ones if as necessary. So before we get to some of the more fun questions, uh, a couple questions I wrap up with everybody on this part. First, what does a typical day look like for you? Um, as with most guests, I'm sure it's pretty different every day, but if you could somehow standardize a single day for you, what does it look like? Wake up and make greatness. Okay. That's about as standard of a response as I can give you. Cause every day is, it is, it's so different. Yeah. Um, the day starts at different times, you, you know, often at Lippert. We Are you st- a planner? Do you have your like, maybe even weeks out for you, you have your day completely planned. I am not. Um, I, yeah, I, which I think surprises a lot of people. Um, I, I, I like structure and I am structured in my own mind, but it's, it's in sort of the own fabric of my, um, I don't know, I guess of how, how my day is going to unfold or how my, or, you know, I guess I'll put it this way. I I'm a big believer that life is a series of seasons Mm -hmm. and in different seasons of my life demand my, me to show up in different ways. And so, you know, the season that I've been in recently has been one of just extreme work. Um, and, and, um, 
putting forth a lot to to pour into the teams and places that I have a, the opportunity to serve right now. And so it's it's come with a, a pretty heavy schedule load. My word of the year for 2021 is prioritize. And, um, and so my intent this year is to be really lasered on sort of the, the big rocks that I need. I don't, don't really use that term usually, but like the big st- strategic objectives that I have in my own life and mm-hmm. my work um, to get accomplished this year. And then sort of I organize my life and my days sort of in that, but not like at eight o'clock I do this, at nine o'clock I do this. Um, I've got a little bit more flexibility in there. Cause like I said, I don't like to be controlled. Yeah. <laughs> So the main core of our listeners, young professionals, um, an actionable piece of advice. If, I mean, this is running on Monday, so it's early January. Uh, thing, I think most people are looking to kickstart either new habits, new lifestyles, actual piece of advice just to improve whether on the mental side or day-to-day side, uh, what, what would you hit them with? I would say, um, own your thinking. I think we, we, uh, we forget often how important our thoughts are. I think people think that thoughts are just these ephemeral things that float around in our head and don't matter. But the reality of it is that every thought we have matters and every thought we have sends an electrical signal from our brain through our body to do something. And that thought is either helping us accomplish Mm -hmm. what we want to accomplish or become who we want to become, or it's hurting us. And so, um, I I would say own your thinking this year, be really mindful of the thoughts that you're thinking. And when you catch yourself thinking things that are not in alignment with who you want to be or what you want to accomplish, change it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This isn't rocket science. It's just brain science. And so, um, you can, you can control your thoughts and choose thoughts that, that position you for who you want to be and what you want to accomplish in this year. Love it. I have a few handful of more fun questions that we'll wrap up with. First, so in my opinion, the most mental position on a football field, other than quarterback, obviously, is kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I notice oftentimes when I do see you on TV, it's after Jonathan has missed a kick. Is there a standard, like, is it, would it have been different with Justin? Is it by the kicker on how you approach them after missed kicks? Because we've seen with a kicker, they get rolling and they cannot miss a kick for weeks, or they can miss a couple kicks and it can snowball even at the professional level. Um, I mean, what's tip? How how are you able to gauge like Jonathan needs to be talked to right now versus maybe I should just give him some space at this point? Yeah, so I won't speak specifically about Jonathan, um, who's but a very good kicker. He's a, he's incredible. He's a great young That's man a too. Big leg. It's a big leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a special kid. Um, you know. I, in, in anything, everybody's different, you know, and I think that's why the relationship is so important to know what they need when they need it, whether that's something or nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think when you put in work in advance, it allows for those conversations to, to, um, you know, be more productive. And in, in my perspective, it's, it's about performance in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the things that are going to help them reset and refocus? And sometimes it's just a reminder to like manage your thinking like we just talked about. And And this is where being there every day is helpful rather than just showing up on game day. Right. Right. And a lot of like in sport, we, uh, we use a lot of visual cues, you know, whether guys write things on their wrists or, you know, have different routines to help them reset and refocus. And so sometimes just the physical, my physical presence, like can be a reminder Mm -hmm. of like, Oh yeah. Don't let my head run away with myself right now. You know, I need to be my best friend in my head right now, not beating myself up. Cause guess what? There's another play coming that I need to be ready yep. for. And so, um, again, whether that's just 
catching their eye and like, you know, giving them the nod of, Hey, you're all right. Yeah. You know, you lock back in, you're fine. Or going and having a conversation with them based off of things that we've talked about in the, the past. And, yeah. Yep, exactly. So awesome. that's, that's sort of how it works on a moment by moment basis. You ever worked with baseball? I've worked with a couple of baseball players. Like yes. I would, I would love to see you with someone that gets the yips and like that mental side. I think that in all of sport, that may be the most mental thing I've ever come up with. Yips. I know Rick Ankiel as a pitcher, Chuck Knobloch who couldn't make the throw from second base. Um, I mean, would that be something that you'd be interested to if someone called you and they're like, Hey, I have the yips. I cannot put the ball where I want it anymore. Is that something that you would like to take on? Yeah. I mean, I, I think those are always, those are always, I don't want to say fun. Those are, it's brutal. You know, I think the hardest thing when you're working with somebody in that situation is that you don't know why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And you want so badly to be able to perform greatly. So, um, uh, so, so yeah, it'd absolutely be something I would, would take on. And again, every case is a little bit different. Um, but really breaking that down and, and, and helping a person navigate through it, right. Because all behavior is the result of something. And a lot of times yeah. that's our thought thoughts and our emotions that are underlying that behavior. And so being able to break that down with somebody and systematically move them through that, that process is, is, um, it's, it's very challenging, but it's, it's part of mental performance for sure. Have you ever been stuck on an elevator? I have not. Would you be okay if you were? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's not, yeah, not surprising, I guess. You I would, <laughs> I mean, I would have to employ all of my mental skills, I'm sure, or I would probably start to MacGyver the thing and try to get out. Um, oh, if I was stuck with you and you did that, <laughs> I would kill you. <laughs> I'd either pass out or I would try to physically hold you back. Oh, I'd kill you. If you start popping panels. Yeah, 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 for no. sure. <laughs> um, or I would be like, well, let's just read a book. I have life talk. So who if knows? If I'm going to be stuck in an elevator, I guess you'd probably be the best person on the planet to be stuck with because you yeah. probably be able to calm me down. Yeah, you yeah. got to calm people down, get them breathing, work through the situation, get them thinking positively. <laughs> would you rather be stuck in Jurassic Park or Jumanji? Ooh, Jumanji. Yeah, any reason? Uh, I just feel like there's some strategy there. You feel like better you can, chance of survival, better chance of survival. And Dinosaurs like, would be wild cards. You don't know what you're getting into. No, yeah. no. And at least this, you could at least feel like you're problem solving. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it acceptable for guys to use a gift card on a first date? Like to pay for dinner or yeah. to give you a, yeah. Like say if, if, if you were single and you went out with a guy and you went to, I don't know, a middle of red lobster and they just throw down a gift card to pay. Is that okay or is that not acceptable? Yeah, why not? It's yeah. still your money. Okay. Yeah, we get I'm answers all over the map on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm like a, if you got it, use it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you rather be able to throw a baseball 105 or be able to dunk? Ooh, dunk. Yeah? Dunk. And I I am not a good thrower. It's really sad. It's really sad. It, it actually, Do you ever throw a football around out at practice or anything? Football I can throw. Okay. Baseball or anything small, it's bad. Like I literally just texted my husband the other day and I said, I'm adding a new goal for 2021. I have to get better at throwing small things. He was like, he was like, okay. He's like, like pins? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I literally went to throw something to him the other day and I threw, I'm not even going to finish the story because it's embarrassing. It's like undermining my athletic abilities. And I like literally, somebody saw me do it and I looked at him and I said, I don't want to hear it. I was a, so I was a soccer player. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to use your hands. That's exactly. Your exactly. Are you a very good basketball player? 
I'm a decent basketball player, actually. I actually, I had a border collie growing up named Zeb, and I used to go down in the basements and practice dribbling against him because they are the best defenders in the world. Yeah, Bill knows it right away. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I can I can ball a little bit, but my height doesn't help me much. Well, if you had one free throw, if you make it, million dollars. If you miss it, you can never text again. Are you taking that free throw? Your job, you need the text. No, I'm not taking. You're not. That. T- <laughs> I'll just work harder and make a million dollars versus like risk not being able to make a sustainable million on the back end of that. So we asked everybody this question, but I think you are most qualified to answer it. So I'm excited. (laughs) Who would win in a fight between a Navy SEAL with a toddler's brain or a toddler with a Navy SEAL's brain? That's a great question. Give me just a second. Over Christmas, it got heated at my family or Thanksgiving. It got heated on the answer between my brother and my mom. Is the Navy SEAL trained as a Navy SEAL? Yeah, but it's but that but, brain is in the toddler. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna have to go a Navy SEAL with a toddler brain. Really? Yes. You think the because at the, the end of the day, the sheer strength. Yeah. And and from a cognitive processing standpoint, if the baby knows what it's supposed to do, it just hits things. My mom is gonna be thrilled that you answered that way because that's what <laughs> she swore up and down that was the correct answer, and you are by far the most qualified person to answer this. So, oh, she's gonna be so excited. I'm gonna text her after this. <laughs> what does? So these are more again selfish questions. I'm just uh, I'm always looking to be more productive myself. What does the first hour of your day look like? Good question. Um, honestly, it looks different every day depending on what my meeting schedule looks like. Uh, but, but for me, you know, it includes as soon as I wake up, like I'm mindful of what I'm thinking about, Mm -hmm. whether it's, um, you know, being just a sense of gratitude for the day in front of me, getting myself excited about what's on my calendar is important to just help get out of bed with a sense of purpose and intentionality. Um, and then some type of, you know, spiritual reflection, whether it's prayer, whether it's in scripture and then some type of physical movement, whether it's yoga or, foam rolling on a, on a better, just some simple stretching just to start activating my body a little bit. Those are probably the mo- the three most consistent elements mm-hmm. of the first hour of my day. And then from there, it, it, uh, it varies. Last hour. Last hour is, um, just spent with my husband, just sort of wind down, r- winding down. Yeah. yeah. Whether that's reading or, um, watching a show or just hanging out and, and having life talk together, usually with a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that's the last hour. Glad you mentioned reading. Cause the last question, um, book recommendations. Oh, I know, I know you probably have 40 or 50 if you could narrow it down to a few. Yeah. Um, one of my all time favorite books is wide awake by okay. Erwin McManus. Um, I basically read that at every new season of my life and basically anything by Erwin McManus is spectacular. So yeah, I you can even rec- recommend authors rather than yeah, books. Yeah. Author Erwin McManus, but wide awake is my favorite. Okay. Um, um, I'm reading a book right now. The book I'm reading right now is a book my friend just wrote and released called, um, shift your mind by Brian Levinson. It's a good mental performance book. He's a mental performance coach based out of the the DC area. And it's like uh, eight, eight or nine mental shifts between preparation and performance. So um, really, really fascinating, good read. Um, coach Kelly and I read a book last year called um, Stillness is the Key. Um, and so that that's a great one. 
and I like uh, I like the Heath brothers switch. How to change when change is hard. Yeah, I think is really good. So you mentioned extreme ownership a couple times. You read Jocko's books? I have not read his books yet. He came in and talked to the team actually. Um, really? last year. So I had a chance to see him speak in a pretty intimate setting, which pretty was pretty intimidating awesome. dude. He a big dude. Yeah. But I mean, he you is got, zero nonsense. I nonsense know. will not be tolerated with this. You man. have to understand like who I'm around on a yeah, day-to-day yeah. basis though. You know, like yeah, yeah. I guess even, he's not big even out his voice, you know, oh, yeah. like, but like our strength coaches voices are yeah. like that. And so I, I think sometimes I forget like the, the sheer to it. Yeah. size of the humans that I'm around on a day-to-day basis until I see a picture. And then I'm like, Oh, God, I'm so little. See a picture Jeez. of Aaron Banks or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hello. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to give you a couple minutes here. I know you have a lot of projects coming up, and I don't want to miss anything. So plug away. Uh, I know the podcast we're both big fans of. I think you mentioned you have a book coming out. So hit us with that and where people can find uh, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to have you guys follow follow us on all our social media platforms. We're on uh, Twitter at Champ Mindsets, Champ Mindsets, um, on Instagram at Selking Performance, on Facebook at Selking Performance Group. Uh, we have a podcast called Building Championship Mindsets. You can find that um, on wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, all of the places. Um, it's also on our website, www.selkingperformance.com. We've got a lot of free podcasts, um, guided meditation scripts, articles that, that are there, sort of a repository for you. Uh, we do have two uh, children's books, but they're eBooks. They're on Amazon right now. Okay. Um, one called A Dream Come True, the other called Winner's Circle. Um, so they're written about a little bee named Zip who has a dream uh, that she she follows throughout her journey there. And then uh, it's under sort of undergirded with some positive psychology and sports psychology tenants, which is which is cute. And then we're releasing um, a nonfiction book called winning the mental game. Um, and that's set to come out in Q1 of, or Q2 of this year. We don't have an exact release date yet. So yep. as soon as that comes out, I will let you know. Awesome. Thanks a ton for your time. I know you're very busy. Uh, I, I had a good time. Hopefully you had a good time. I will get everything linked in the show notes. Um, when that book releases, uh, whenever you're listening to this, check back on our social media, we'll get that linked. And again, Dr. Selking, thanks a ton for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. Thank you for the work that you're doing here. Um, you know, we're, we're both living here in South Bend and I know making this our home and it's a special city with a lot of really incredible people. And so thank you for your work, for your investment in our community. And I'm excited where this place is going to continue to grow over the next five, 10 and 15 years, because there's a, a lot of amazing young professionals like yourself that are here that are committed to, to making South Bend great. And it's going to be fun to watch that unfold. Love it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Self. Thank you. Everybody I know, first it might seem like a lot, but they all play and they roll, put that on anything that I got, and all I care about is my city, man, I can't say it enough. I done heard things about y'all that they can't say about us. I just hold it down for my side. I just hold it down for my set. I give everybody a piece of this, and I make do with This has been a production of the Alpha Dog Podcast Network. Find more shows at alphadogagency.com slash podcast.